Hi, and welcome back to the show. Today, I am joined by Mark Shapiro. He is the CEO and founder of Executive Boutique Call Center, but also Select Voice Com or SVC. We had Mark on the show in episode number 239. I haven't quite done the math, but I think that is about two and a half years ago. So it's really good to catch up with Mark again. He's been doing great things in the industry. We're going to hear all about Executive Boutique, the call center, the things that he's been up to, his move to a rebranding just to select Voicecom, his expansion to Deval. I don't want to give all this away, but we also spend a bit of time, quite a bit of time actually, talking about AI and how he sees that impacting the call center industry specifically, as in the managed solutions part of this wider call center industry. So it's a really interesting conversation. We also talk to some degree about the uh, healthcare system in the US and its demand for staffing. So I had a really, it's a really wide ranging conversation and I certainly learned a lot. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. Enjoy. This podcast is brought to you by Outsource Accelerator. We are the world's leading outsourcing marketplace and advisory. We help big and small businesses with their outsourcing needs and we can help you too. We cover everything from offshore business and staffing strategy, optimal outsourcing structures, implementations, and fully managed services. If you are already outsourcing, about to start, or are somewhere in between, then we can ensure that you get the best from outsourcing. That's the best prices, best terms, and of course, the best results from your offshore operations. The Outsource Accelerator Marketplace now covers over 3,000 outsourcing firms representing a global workforce of over 5 million people. We also host this leading outsourcing podcast, publish Inside Outsourcing, and have over 15,000 pages of content on the site. Because we span the entire market, we can ensure that you get the best deal possible. Get in touch today. Visit us at outsourceaccelerator.com slash quote. Also, if you find this podcast interesting or valuable, please share it. We have now produced hundreds of episodes featuring the outsourcing world's most prominent luminaries. Please show your support by sharing this podcast today. Mark, it's great to have you back. We had you on the show many, many years ago. We're actually unsure what year it was, but it was episode 249. If people want to go back and uh, ride the time machine and, and hear what you've been up to. But instead of uh, doing that, Mark, maybe you can uh, give us updates. You are the CEO and founder of Executive Boutique Call Center, and then also the Select Voice Com, which we're going to discuss in this podcast, of course. But great to have you on the show and maybe give us updates. It was pre-COVID, I believe, when we spoke. And so just sort of how's life, how's business, and especially post-COVID? Yeah, life and business 
It's great. Yeah, you know, we just celebrated our 15th anniversary for Executive Boutique Call Center. And as you mentioned, uh, Select Voice Com or SVC was a brand that we started in 2014 to really market to the Australia and Asia market. And we are now actually in the process of combining those two brands. We're going to be phasing out the Executive Boutique brand, which was the, the founding brand, and branding everything under uh, Select Voice Com or SVC, primarily because it's really just there's a lot of confusion in the market. We lease out almost an entire building in Cebu, and we're getting one of those giant 15-foot signs that's going to be able to brand the entire building. And then we do a lot of employee engagement under Select Voice Com, so it really didn't make sense to continue the executive boutique brand because we can get a lot more bang for the buck out of the SVC brand. So that's very mm-hmm. exciting for us. But yeah, I mean, I feel like we were the newcomers on the block back in 2008, and that seems like forever ago now. So now you're um, the veteran. Yeah, congratulations on the 15 years. I mean, there's a lot of businesses that never make it that far. So incredible and well done. And it's a hard decision, yeah, to cut one of the brands like was it has it been a tough decision to come to that it's almost like yeah it really it was yeah it is and there's a whole seo consideration you feel like you've built up all this seo juice under the eb call center um url my seo guys tell me that they're going to be able to transfer some of that juice to the select voice com website and we should be back up and running so but yeah it's always hard to let go but at the end of the day, we feel it. we like the SVC and Select Voice Con has more of a ring to it than Executive Boutique, which could almost feel like a boutique clothing store as opposed to a call center. So. Sure. You're based in the U.S. You spend a lot of time in the Philippines, though. And what what you're, you're more of a call center kind of call center, like the more traditional, you do managed solutions. What do you focus on generally? Yes, we are a managed solutions center as opposed to the kind of a staffing model. We are not a staffing model, so we provide not only the agents, but the team leaders, the managers, the trainers, really a full-service solution as opposed to just providing staff where clients then manage their own. Obviously, we encourage as much client interaction and oversight as possible, but it is a managed service. And in terms of the types of industries we work in and services we provide. I mean, we have historically done your traditional customer support, technical support, lead generation, sales, and they for a variety of industries, everything from software to support, law firms, publishing companies, insurance companies, e-commerce companies. But as of late, we have, well, not even as of late, as of the last few years, we've really made a push into healthcare. And there's kind of two sides of it. There's the the home healthcare side where we're providing nurses in the Philippines who we handle all of the back-end medical and administrative support for a certain segment of the healthcare industry in the U.S., primarily home healthcare. There's a lot of back-end paperwork that has to get done and kind of complicated billing processes that we've learned and become experts at. And it requires nurses. And as you may know, the Philippines produces more nurses than any other country in the world. A lot of the you know, men and women there go to college in hopes that one day they can be a nurse in another country and make a lot more money than they can make in the Philippines. But we've really given them an opportunity to stay in Cebu and soon to be Davao and make a you know, much better salary than a lot of the call center employees make 
because of their specialized medical care and their medical education. It is, um, it is a booming opportunity, the healthcare requirements, specifically in the US. As an American, could you give us insight? Like, what is it with the system? It's just, from what I understand, it's chronically understaffed. And from what I understand, the situation is only going to get worse. They just can't get the staffing they require. Yet, it doesn't seem like many of them are necessarily embracing this concept of remote, you know, getting as many jobs as they can done remotely, done offshore. And so where do you, you know, more on the ground and, of course, even selling into these clients, how do do you see this whole situation now and how do you see it playing out? Sure. There is always a shortage of really kind of quality nurses in the U.S. There had, and certainly COVID didn't help that. And it really, you know, certainly COVID ramped up the demand, ramped up the salaries, and therefore the cost of getting nurses to provide the services. And the services that are, we want to let the nurses in the U.S. focus on the things that they have to do on the ground. That is, they have to meet with the patients and provide the in-person healthcare that they provide. What we want to be able to take off their shoulders is all of the back-end paperwork that the nurses then have to do after they meet with the clients and provide the care. Then they there's this ton of paperwork that the, the U.S. system requires and it does require medical knowledge. And so there's now a whole software environment where we can uh, handle that work in a HIPAA compliant way. HIPAA is the Health Insurance and Portability Act, which is the like, health insurance privacy laws in the US. And there's very specific ways in which you handle private health information. But there is software that now that we can use that allows us to handle all of that backend paperwork and relieve the nurses that duty. So it really allows the the medical providers to allow the nurses to see more people, make more, and, and therefore do additional billing because they're not wasting time with all this backend paperwork. So it's really a, an area that we think is huge. And does it take teasing apart their existing processes on site where maybe nurses are doing a little bit of everything themselves and sort of sitting down with them and saying, look, the on-site nurses should be doing this and then this should be going offshore. And does it require sort of a rebuilding of their processes and also consulting with them for them to have that awareness? I wouldn't say it's a rebuilding. It's certainly there's some education involved in terms of in your generally dealing with an executive at the healthcare facility to explain how we can provide these services. But at the end of the day, they they all do realize that um, this paperwork can be done in other places in other ways for a lot less money than having some of these nurses are making six figures a year and they should be spending their time seeing patients and not filling out paperwork. So it's, it you know, does take a little time to figure out the process and, and we don't dictate a process on our clients. We kind of look at every single client and there are all aspects of things having to do with intake and insurance and then there's the paperwork aspect of it um, and, and the quality assurance aspect. Um, to make sure that their documents are filled out properly. So there's different pieces that we can do. Some of our clients, we do all the pieces. Some of the clients, we only do some of the pieces. Um, so it's, mm. you know, take each client individually. 
We're also doing a fair amount of work for clinical research companies, which don't necessarily, it, it helps, it's helpful if you have a nursing background, but it isn't quite as mandatory. And COVID was really instrumental in that, as you probably know, and during COVID, there was a tremendous amount of clinical trials going on having to do with COVID vaccines and other medication. And so there's a lot of screening to be done. So we do a lot of that back end or that client screening, not clients, really patients who want to be part of trials or potentially qualify for different trials need to have a whole medical screening process done. And so we work with several clients doing that as well. And do you find that hospitals are seeing other hospitals doing it? And is it kind of becoming like a bit of a viral loop and everyone getting on board or do, do you see that uh, you know we just this, kind of resistant it's still very early stages which is exciting for us because it's very much an untapped market we did a this past september we did a trade show for the home health industry and that was a lot of the home health companies there and most of them where it was really starting at ground zero in terms of explaining what we do and how we could do it. So there, there's definitely a lot of room in the market to, and there, I think there's like 10,000 home healthcare companies in the U.S. So it's a very untapped. It's incredible, isn't it? And the U.S. is just such a big <clears throat> healthcare market. And, you know, the staffing situation seems to be only getting worse. And then, of course, there's all of the other major developed economies as well that are all having their own issues with healthcare. It's just a huge, huge potential, yeah. isn't it? Or yeah. Maybe. And it happens to be one of those areas that AI is a real concern for us. And that is everybody's used ChatGPT. Now, I don't know if you've tested it out, but if you use ChatGPT on your phone or your, your iPad, you could talk to it instead of typing and it, it answers back and it sounds great. And that process you know, is going to has already, there are several companies that's selling these services that you can have AIs make phone calls or take phone calls, and they're going to be better and smarter than the average agent. And we're, we are not far off from that point. So certainly finding parts of the call center industry that will be uh, protected from the eventual AI takeover is certainly important. Yeah, I mean, we can jump to technology. I mean, it, it's good getting your perspective on that. I have generally taken the perspective that the, the call centers that do high repetition, high volume, high repetition tasks will be at risk of the AI, whereas staff augmentation won't necessarily because it's only under threat as much as employment generally is going to be under threat by AI. So I, I don't see that the entire industry is threatened. However, the call center industry is with these repetitive functions, and that does constitute the vast majority of the outsourcing industry. But you're closer to it. Like, do you, having tested a lot of these services, are they far off? Like, I've had a lot of approaches about the automated calls and things like that. And my concern is the voice still sounds a little bit robotic, and they really need to kind of they need to get that being human and then i think the sky's the limit whereas people will have very low tolerance talking or hearing something from something that sounds like like siri or a robot like where what did you experience with these tools i think the voice is a lot better i don't think the voice is going to be at least the tests that we did it wasn't the voice that that was the problem it was the delay in the answer so when you right. um 
when you answered, there was a, an audible one to three second delay before it figured out what you said and gave a response. Right. And I that, did hear that actually, like there's still the latency of the computer computing what it's going to say. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that would just kill people when you have to wait right. that. I mean, one second's long, two and three seconds feels like forever. So sure. I don't think they're quite there yet, but I think once the kind of the computing power gets there and maybe, and listen, we didn't test all the services and there's one. I reckon that- there's a workaround for that. Yeah. Like you could, you know, like a lot of talking is fluff. Like you could have these fluff right. answers uh, at the beginning, like, Hey, uh, you know, it's great. You asked that. And then, you know, and then you put in the proper answer. Like they could kind of buffer it with a bit of fluff. Yeah, they'll figure it out. There's no no question about it. Like I said, I've been playing around with the, the voice version of ChatGPT on my phone and iPad, and that is just, it's nice to be able to type. There's a lot of reasons why you want to type into ChatGPT and get an answer and, and copy the answer and use it for whatever you're going to use it for. But to be able to have a real conversation with it is a completely different experience. So it's... And I, you know, they say the future's already here, but it's just not evenly distributed. I was talking to another call center guy about this and my personal experience with these i phone up my bank in the uk and they're still using the same sort of voice controlled ivr from about 15 years ago and the technology has not improved and i've got a fairly neutral accent and i cannot tell it my birth date or the bank account number it it cannot understand it and so you end up spending the first five minutes of call becoming incredibly frustrated because you're dealing with an idiot computer you know like they could easily just like upgrade to chat gpt this is one of the biggest banks in the uk and they still haven't so i do wonder there is this incredible technology out there but it's slow to be adopted isn't it yeah i have that voice too that i don't know if it's those ivrs don't like my voice and i find that i have to to bring my voice up like an octave like this and then they'll understand me but if i talk in my normal kind of raspy low voice it doesn't get it so and imagine oh. all the varied accents and immigrants and stuff like that. Like It mustn't be able to just, it's crazy. And I'm sure that there are now better models available that they could just easily upgrade. So it is interesting, you know, even the, it seems obviously the bigger companies move slower, don't they, in terms of updating their technology and processes? Yeah, well, you know, it's hard to move that uh, thousand foot long ship and, and turn it around all at once. It's definitely, you know, I'm sure it's a lot more expensive and, a lot more bureaucracy involved. But what have you seen then, though, Mark? Like what, what are the tools, if you're talking about AI and, and how it's going to optimize call centers? There's obviously this sort of automated calling thing. There's also the, the chat bots, which are becoming pretty effective now. But what are you seeing? What have you seen come over the horizon and find kind of significantly interesting? Um. You know, I, at the end of the day, I, other than the, the artificial intelligence calling thing, I haven't really seen anything you know, that's really groundbreaking. The, there's a lot of regulatory stuff going on in the U.S. that is going to affect a lot of what we do. I just got an email from our lawyer this just this uh, afternoon having to do with, you know, where when you're calling people in the U.S., there, there's depending on how you're calling them, they have to opt in to be called. And a lot of these companies do this kind of, they're changing the way that that the opt-ins are going to have to happen. And it's going to really make it a lot more difficult for a lot of the lead gen and other companies to 
So there's regulatory stuff. I mean, on our end, we've, you know, we take security super seriously. I mean, since we've last spoken, we've become ISO 27001 certified. We're SOC 2 certified. I think we originally spoke, we were just BCI certified. So those extra security audits that we had to go through to get those certifications, you know, have all, you know, kind of opened up different kinds of work that we're able to do. And I think companies in general are just much more aware of security given all of the hacks that, that, that go on. And the, I mean, I just saw today that like 17 law firms in the UK, their systems were hacked and held hostage. Just literally that was today. So it's much more important, right. I think, for the big companies to be working with companies that have the right type of security in place to allow them to um it's scary isn't it yeah and as the call center i think that there is a liability there potentially as well uh, there was a big call center uh, hacked recently and from what i understood like all of their big clients left them as a result like i think it completely has collapsed the company almost but it's scary isn't it because it's a point of entry for criminals uh, yeah, I mean, it really depends. Yeah, I mean, it really depends a lot of almost everything we do is in the cloud. That is, it's not in our call center. Just for example, if we're working on you know, within a Salesforce environment in a dialer that's plugged into Salesforce, it's not, none of that stuff is in within our system. It's all in the cloud. Certainly okay. the same thing is true with all the healthcare systems we work in. And so it's, but even with that said, you have to have the right protocols in place to make sure that your systems are secure. Yeah. I, I saw Intercom. They, I don't know if you know Intercom, but it, it's sort of a chat function for websites and things like that. And they introduced an AI into their chat feature. And two interesting points with that. You know, normally SaaS is charged per month, but they basically started charging for this bot per resolution and it was 99 cents per resolution so it's an interesting thing to see that these SaaS companies are having to evolve their pay structure as well with the advent of these ai or robots or whatever but interestingly they said it's never going to resolve everything but when they turned it on they found that 30 percent didn't have to were resolved by the bot and did not have to be escalated to people which means an immediate drop of work for people in call centers of 30%. And it's, so it, it's interesting, isn't it? And you would assume that that bot could become more effective and, and maybe move up to 40 or 50% resolution, but things are definitely changing, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. I mean, when they're able to, you know, everybody, you take what's in jet check GPT now, and then you integrate it with the, you know, all of the thousands of hours of information you have just internally on your existing calls and, and then you do further training on that. Everyone's going to have their own kind of large language model built just for them that it's on top of a even larger model. And yeah, that's why I say I, I'm even obviously the most, the, the simplest things call centers do are, are most at risk, but even some more complicated things will ultimately be um, taken over. You know, they'll always be kind of that back end press zero for. You know, if you want to talk to a real person, but at the end of the day, there's some, the AI is pretty scary. 
Yeah, I mean, they're saying, you know, it will take the lower levels of a lot of jobs, won't it? Even sort of legal and medical, they're, they're saying like a lot of the basic stuff can be done with the bots and then it's sort of elevated to a human to kind of put the polish on sort of thing. It's, yeah. yeah, I mean, if you think about how complicated computer programming is and then a lot of the computer programming has already been taken over by just big chunks of it, at least all of the stuff that used to have to be written, you can now kind of get the bot to write the basic program and then, you know, plug that in together with a bunch of other programs and you've got a whole system. So it's, yeah, it's coming. Curious, Mark, have you ever considered getting into the staff leasing, staff augmentation side of the model? I, I Look, I tend to find the call center stuff, there's, because you're managing the process, you're deep into processes and, and it's harder to do that, harder to establish what you have built so I find it harder for staffing organizations to go over to managed services, but managed services over to staffing, you're really just sort of stripping away activities of, of yours. Like, so it's, and, there's bigger opportunity. Have you ever considered it? Or? We have, and we do it to a limited degree. Like we have several clients that came to us and said, you know, that let's say they have 30 or 40 people with us doing call center functions. And they'll say, can you get us a small accounting team, which we have. So it's typically been the accounting function that has been the kind of the easiest to plug in. But certainly there are other, you know, we don't have any kind of, I find that, and we have some senior accounting people that can kind of help us um, place those people. But I do find it's tough to go into the staffing model for, let's say, if you're going to do staffing for software development, if you don't have some of that capability in-house already, you really have to kind of build out a little of that capability before you then, because you still have to manage the people a little bit. So, Interesting. You know. And Mark, over your 15 years now, like how... And you're largely based in New York. How have you seen it evolve on the ground in New York? The awareness of offshoring, outsourcing, the acceptance of it. How, how have you seen these things evolve in the sort of the common man or the, or the, the kind of SME space? You know, I mean, we are nationwide. I mean, I happen to be based in New York, but our clients are distributed equally across the country. I think COVID had a huge impact on the call center industry. I mean, at the day COVID hit, the day that kind of in you know March, whenever it was, when everything shut down and we had 150 people who lost their job that day because the client was in, let's say, in the dental field or, you know, I don't even remember at this point, but that we were able to transition to remote work and we had over 600 people working remotely but by the time that the pandemic had was you know we were well into the pandemic and everybody was working remotely it really showed a lot of the companies that you know re that these people don't need to be sitting in their office so if somebody's going to be remote and they're going to you know that person is miles away from their office well they might as well save a lot of money and it doesn't matter if the person's in Philadelphia or the Philippines um, so by the time COVID was over, we were twice as big as we were when COVID hit. Um, so it was really a, an education for everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting, huh? And is it more accepted, do you think? You know, what's, I mean, the U.S. is so polarized politically, isn't it? But are people kind of on board with global employment or is it America first? Well, or I suppose there's no one answer I, I, to that. I don't, uh, yeah, I don't really hear any of that in 
you know, maybe I think certainly in the white collar working world, I think that everyone realizes that we're, you know, significant portion of the population is working remotely that uh, all the big companies outsource at this point. So I don't think, you know, any of it's, there's, I think a lot of the hesitancy and resistance to it is gone. I think certainly if you were talking to people in more blue collar traditional construction roles and so forth, where you can't outsource that, you know, there's some general knee jerk reaction against it, but that's really not our customer base. Yeah. Yeah. And do you do remote work or are you strictly in office? Because that's kind of torn the industry in two obviously since COVID as well. It, it's, I think a lot of s- providers would prefer to be in office and keep everything contained and, and well managed. But it seems that a lot of the pull from the employees has determined that, that these BPOs go remote. Like, where have you sat in regards we, to that? We took a very hard line. I mean, once we were able to bring people back to the office, we brought them back to the office and we are 100% in the office now. There's a very, there, there might be a less than a handful, like literally under five people who we allow to work remotely for various reasons, but work effectively 100% in office. And I think that you just don't, I mean, there's certainly plenty of people that can work remotely and be just as productive and they save the time commuting. But since we're in the Philippines, we're working U.S. business hours. It's m- meaning we're they're working in the middle of the night. We find that, you know, and this is a, a rough estimate that we were probably fifteen to twenty percent more productive by having people in the office than out of the office. And then there's also the whole factor of internet connectivity, computer security, electricity. You know, the so uh, you know. We were talking just before we went live here that your internet is a little shaky. Well, I, I've got people on the phone and they're living in the province somewhere and their internet is a little shaky. That's not doing my clients any favors. So we have three yeah. different internet providers into our office. I mean, if one goes down, we were just, I mean, we were just never down. We can't be mm. down. And that's not really true. It's difficult, the- isn't it? For me, it's a no-brainer and there's no debate. But then for the employees, they're always bushing and there's this tension and then it seems to bleed over into the clients. You then get the clients saying, "Ah, oh, come on, my staff would prefer to work at home. Like, why are you we, so tough?" And yeah, no, no, we, gosh, we've it's had hard, that. isn't it? And I, oh, we, I don't think that won. debate will ever is. It'll never go away now, will it? Like, people yeah. are always you're always going to have to justify why you're in the office. No, we, we've we have lost people. We've had plenty of employees kind of whisper into the ear of our clients saying, hey, can you tell them to just let us work from home? And then the clients get on board and say, can you, and, and then we've got to explain to the clients why that's a bad idea and all the things I just talked about, supervision and internet and electricity and background noise and all the things you get from home. So yeah, we take a pretty hard line and there'll always be attention. And there was, you know, we had a content writer just give her notice the other day. I think because she kept saying, can I work from home? We kept saying no. And and you know, presumably she found a job that she can write from home. And that's fine. I No problem. But just as a company, we do a tremendous amount to keep our employees happy. I mean, we have a whole staff of people that are who are led by a chief morale officer. And their sole job it is to 
do a lot of in-office activities. We have something called Friday, which we bring in different food vendors every Friday to give out free French fries or popcorn or ice cream or fruit or whatever it is that, that week. And we do, you know, something for every holiday, whether it's Valentine's Day. So anyway, the, you know, we do a lot for employees to make them happy. But at the end of the day, you know. Yeah, that's hard. That's huh? hard. Well done. Well done. And you're moving to, well, you're expanding to Davao now. Yes, we are. We, I'm on my way to the Philippines tomorrow night, and then I'll be in Cebu for a few, I'll be in Manila for a few nights, and then in Cebu for a few days, and then going to Davao. To, I think we've picked out an office, but they say they've got a couple more for us to look at. And we're going there primarily because we are hiring so many nurses that we really feel like we need to be in a different city as well to to get that expanding pool of nurses from a different geographic location. It does have right. some advantages, you know, just God forbid there's another storm or anything like that. We've got an office that's in a different area that will continue running, even yeah. though during the big uh, typhoon they had a couple of years ago in, in Cebu, we, we were really only down for a day. Oh, and that wasn't even because the office was down. We were down only because people couldn't get to the office. But yeah, no, like, no, well cool. done, well done. Congratulations! Yeah. yeah, fifteen years, and you're still still pushing hard, still expanding, and it's exciting. It's exciting. Yeah. No, it's a great industry, Good. and you know, it is. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's interesting, isn't it? and it never stay. You know. It's evolving, isn't it? It's it's not static. I suppose nothing is in life, but you really do have to keep up with times. Yeah, yeah, things are changing, but like I said, we're trying to move into areas that that will be AI proof and that will constantly be growing and that are untapped. And we think nurses, and it's not only nurses; it's nurses, it's physical therapists, it's occupational therapists, it's all of these things that you give an opportunity for people who. You don't want to stay in the Philippines, not have to necessarily go abroad and to earn a good salary and still be with their families. And so I feel like we're doing a good thing as well. Yeah. Well done. Well, congratulations, Mark. As always, I encourage people to reach out and uh, connect and see how outsourcing can transform their business. If anyone wants to connect with you or learn more about Executive Boutique, how can they do that? Well, they can go to our current website, which is ebcallcenter.com, and though soon that will be transitioning to selectvoicecom.com, um, though we, both sites exist now, but soon they'll, be, they'll just be able to go to the Select Voicecom site, though everything will route, even if they went to the other site, it'll get routed to yeah, our soon-to-be-built so sites. I'll those in the show notes, yeah. And uh, can people connect with you on LinkedIn or how do you, are you out there on the socials? Yeah, I'm out there on, on LinkedIn, though, not that active, but I am under Mark Allen Shapiro for the call center. Yeah. And yeah. there's a lot of Mark Shapiros out there. So you have to look under Mark Allen Shapiro and, uh, and certainly feel free to call us or where we have the U.S. and Australia phone lines as well as Singaporean phone lines. That was Mark Shapiro of Executive Boutique Call Center and Select Voice Com. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. And if you want to email us, just send us an email to ask at outsourceaccelerator.com. See you next time.